the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. The Athletic is covering all the top news from an analytical standpoint, from a long form commentary standpoint, and from an instantaneous standpoint, including the sudden death of Tommy Lasorda at 93 years old, just a baseball legend. It's the top headline right now on The Athletic. They're going to be covering it plenty, I'm sure, in terms of the baseball section. And we are going to talk some baseball today. Check out theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off. Download the app. It's free. Get yourself a subscription, 40% off with using spot track. Pick your leagues, pick your teams, no ads, no, no interruptions. You get personalized news every single day. It's the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning to kind of see where we are in the world of sports. Again, theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Gennetti. We are doing an emergency Friday podcast, our third of the week here. And it's a Homer podcast. I, I'm tr- I try to avoid these as much as possible. <laughs> but uh, many of you know, I am a lifelong Mets fan and the Mets made some serious noise yesterday. Not like fake noise that I, that I you know, overblow a little bit in my head. This is real deal stuff. So, uh, you know, baseball needed some noise. The Mets gave it to him yesterday by acquiring Francisco Lindor. I'm going to bring in Sarah Langs from MajorLeagueBaseball.com, who's got all the numbers, Lindor stats, war rankings, uh, you know, what it means for the Mets, what it means for the Indians, uh, team building. We have a great discussion on this. She's just so knowledgeable, and I love having her on the show, so I'm happy to have her back. So a little bit of baseball off the top. Then we bring it back to Scott Allen for a football conversation and try to stay with me here. We're breaking down offensive lines. I promise there's relevancy. I promise it it feeds your betting needs. I promise it feeds your playoff needs this weekend. All right. And also your draft needs. A lot of people are thinking about thinking forward to April about Trevor Lawrence and quarterbacks and things like that. It's a good conversation, kind of ranking offensive lines with Scott Allen. All right, we're thrilled to have her back on the show. She's at Slangs on Sports on Twitter. Sarah, what, what do I call you these days? <laughs> You're kind of all uh, over the place, right? I mean, welcome back and, and tell us what you do for a living. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me. Um, I guess my official title would be reporter and researcher uh, for MLB.com. And I also uh, do work with MLB Network. I go on there sometimes and chat with Brian Kenny, everybody else, really the MLB Now crew. Uh, but yeah, just, you know, researching whatever's going on and trying to put the best, uh, you know, information to help people really understand moves, trades, especially that, you know, in the off season, that's what we're looking at and doing. Yeah. You're getting in front of the camera here now, right. And, and kind of putting this stuff out there, which is great for all of us because look, let's be fair. You know, I don't think baseball is getting enough love these days. It's a, <laughs> it's a football world and a soccer world and baseball needs some help. We got some help yesterday. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to be forthcoming with you. This is my team. <laughs> so this is an emergency podcast on a Friday. And uh, I'm playing Homer here because I'm a Mets apologist have been my whole life. This is this is new, right? This is kind of new waters for the Mets in this Francisco Lindor move. And it's not just Francisco Lindor. It's also, you know, the number two pitcher now in Carlos Carrasco. Just give us a brief sense of not so much what it means for the Mets yet, but let's just talk about the players in this deal. What kind of player Lindor is, you know, from an age perspective, from a production perspective, just kind of give give us your best on this guy. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, certainly, as you said, definitely feels like a, a new era in Queens. I mean, it seems like that's been sort of the feeling of the entire offseason with Steve Cohen taking over and the Mets being uh, reportedly in on pretty much every player, whether it was trade piece or uh, a free agent, which is not where we've necessarily seen them in past years. So certainly dawning of a new era and some changes. I, I was on MLB Network yesterday and Joel Sherman sort of worded it as he thinks that, you know, this isn't the move. This is the beginning. This mm-hmm. is the signal. Hey, we're doing this now. And I really like that characterization because it, it does feel it certainly feels correct that this is a huge move, but part of what is going to be just a larger change in terms of how the organization looks and what what the players look like. So to your question about you know, the guys that they got back. I mean, Lindor is obviously the the key part in this trade, and he is just such an outstanding player. I mean, he is a top two, top three shortstop in the league right now. I, I would personally be ranking him somewhere with Trevor Story and Fernando Tatis Jr. And just in terms of everything he's done in his career so far, I think that one thing that really stands out is the power. Uh, a little bit less of it this year, but also it was – a shortened season and there were a lot of reasons that things were just maybe not the way we would normally expect them uh, in 2020. So I'm not going to say that a lower slugging percentage for him in 2020 means that he's no longer a slugger. And prior to that, he had a 500 plus slugging percentage in three straight seasons. He had 30 home runs in three straight seasons. He already has the fourth most 30 homer seasons of any shortstop ever. And he's 27 years old. (laughs) So that just tells you, First of all, how unique it is for the position that he plays and also just the kind of player that he is. He has the fourth most wins above replacement. If you look on baseball reference among all infielders since 2015, which is when he debuted. And if you actually kind of break it down on a rate basis, he's ahead of the guys ahead who are ahead of him because he debuted on June 14th. And the others ahead of him are Nolan Arnato, Manny Machado and uh, one other, all of them, uh, you know, just uh, everyday players who did not debut in 2015, which is an important part there. Uh, sorry, Paul Goldschmidt is the other one. I didn't have it in front of me. Um, but he's really an outstanding offensive shortstop, which is important, especially for the Mets. You as a Mets fan will certainly recall that that position, even with the defensive improvement in 2020, both from Ahmed Rosario and with Andres Jimenez's emergence, it was not a good position for them offensively. And it really hasn't been for a while. I mean, I think the last player who really played a great offensive shortstop for them was Jose Reyes. And even he was not the type of player that Francisco Lindor is with the bat. He was much more the classic leadoff hitter, not that much power. Uh, So this is certainly a big change for them. And the other thing is the defense. I, I mentioned that Jimenez obviously was a great, defensive addition for them in 2020 at shortstop and Ahmed Rosario to his credit significantly improved his defense right around the all-star break in 2019. So it has been better, but Francisco Lindor is a two-time gold glove winning shortstop. I mean, it's just on another level and he had was tied for the second most outs above average at shortstop in 2020 and 2020 defensive stats are probably the most difficult to decipher because they are counting stats, but they very much depend on a pretty high denominator in terms of how many chances you got and nobody got a lot of chances in 2020. So this just makes them a significantly better team. Uh, first of all, offensively, where they were already tied for the highest WRC plus of any team in 2020 and defensively, which is huge for ground ball pitchers, especially someone like Marcus Stroman. Wow. 
I mean, <laughs> I didn't need to be convinced about this move, but um, you know, that'll do it. I guess, I guess, because you mentioned it, and my head always goes here just because of the work I do on on the site. You know, they gave up Andres Jimenez, they gave up Ahmed Rosario. They do have another shortstop prospect, you know, in the pipeline who is their best prospect right now. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they're forfeiting their entire future. But getting Lindor, and let's say that's going to be a boy, I guess minimum eight year extension just because of how these things usually look. I mean, it's probably, you know, it's probably going to be closer to 10, 11, 12, knowing what we've seen with the, with the past few, um, you know, you're about to spend 250 million minimum on your shortstop. Whereas, you know, you don't really know where him and his is yet, right? I think you know where I'm going here. Did you just did you just sign yourself off to $250 million where you could have maybe gotten six years of control at 80% production? Or is the gap between Lindor and any kind of controlled contract right now that much bigger to the point of where this is a slam dunk for the Mets? I think it's a slam dunk. I mean, certainly... I think Jimenez could, at his best, potentially be maybe 75% of the player that Francisco Lindor is, at least based on what we've seen so far and what we've seen so far from Lindor. But I think there are a lot of intangibles at play here, too. I mean, we I, I was giving you stats beforehand, but he's also Mr. Smile. Right. He has probably the biggest smile in baseball, rivaled by Brandon Nimmo, uh, which is very funny and like not a real storyline, but a very entertaining tweet I saw from uh, NBC's uh, DJ Short yesterday. And I have to mention it. Uh, position battle is spring will be the smile off between the two of them. <laughs> but Francisco Lindor just brings so much. I mean, he is a franchise changing player and he brings so much to this team, especially at a position where I think they have really struggled to have a consistent player again since Jose Reyes and Jose Reyes was a player who never really panned out to entirely what I think we heard about him at the prospect level. So I do think it's worth it. I, I think that it's actually only worth it to this point. If you do sign that extension with him and, oh, you yes. know, Sandy Alderson said uh, yesterday that he's, you know, they haven't actually had formal talks yet, but it, it, based on what he said, reading between the lines, I mean, that's certainly what they're looking to do, whether it's now or in spring training or a week into the season. Uh, obviously, it's a lot to give up for a year of a guy. I think you could still explain it. But I also think that just getting out of that free agent market for shortstops next year. Uh, for both sides, obviously for Lindor to have that, you know, contract locked up and not have to compete with the four other really great shortstops mm -hmm. who are going to be on the market next year is great for him. And I also think that's good for the Mets. They can focus their money elsewhere and they can focus their efforts elsewhere and not be competing with the Dodgers and whoever else, maybe the Blue Jays and, you know, who have been talked about being bigger spenders uh, moving forward, uh, even though Boba Shutt is great. But not having to be competing with those teams next year in free agency in that arena, I think, gives them a lot more freedom as well, even if they are paying more money. And I mean, he is a really great player. He's going to get a very large contract, but I think he will be worth it. And I really think that part of it is just staring at what he's done and just what he brings to a team. I mean, he made that Indians team so much fun. The combination of him and Jose Ramirez, they had a lot of great personalities over the course of kind of this run that they had. I, I think you can call it that from like 2016 to 2020. And we'll see whether the pitching could carry it into 2021. But a lot of it is something that doesn't even show up on the stats page for him, I think. So 
here's the part of the trade that interests me the most. Um, because look, you know, I've got friends and colleagues here that we've been spitballing trades back and forth for months now. And this was, this was definitely one of them because I'm a homer <laughs> and because, you know, there was one sentence said about this somewhere and I, and I latched onto it for dear life thinking it might come true. And now it has, but in all of my thinking, you know, we weren't, the Mets weren't just giving away prospects because there seems to be a surplus of professional ready, having already played players on this roster right now. And Oh, by the way, the, the, the Indians need an outfielder. The Indians need, you know, a third baseman. The Indians need game ready help, but that didn't happen here. You know, Brandon Nimmo didn't go. Dominic Smith didn't go. Players who seem to be platooning on the Mets, even JD Davis, to some degree, they weren't in this conversation is that, and I honestly think from both sides, it would have benefited. So why didn't Cleveland demand that? And why didn't at least one piece, right? One of these pieces that's going to cost eight, $9 million over the next couple of years. And then of course is going to become a free agent. But you know, is Cleveland now going all the way down from a positional standpoint, not from a pitch pitching standpoint in terms of their payroll? You know, I was as surprised to see that as you were. Uh, I really think that I mean, we've known the Indians have needed outfielders for at least the last two to three years, if not longer. And that's kind of been a big part of the offensive rut that they have run into. So I was pretty surprised that they weren't, you know, trading for even if it wasn't an outfielder from the Mets, like it probably wouldn't have worked someone like a Brandon Nimmo if you're expecting to sign Springer or something like that. But even someone like Dom Smith, who can, I mean, he will apparently be playing left field this year. Yeah. So, so, you know, he can to an extent offensively, he's certainly a force though. I mean, I was, I was very surprised that it was the two infielders. I think that, Jimenez is versatile enough and Rosario is probably going to eventually move into a utility type role that they could certainly be starting both of them every day with one, maybe at second, mm -hmm. you know, and one in short. It is definitely interesting that that's what they chose to go with, you know, in these conversations. I do think the Mets still have a bit of a backlog, just a, a lot of really, you know, capable to good players who play at a couple different positions where it feels like they're going to have to make some decisions. I mean, we don't know yet um, whether there's going to be a designated hitter in the national league, but to this point, the only thing we know is that there isn't unless we hear otherwise. And if that's the case, I personally think that the Mets should be starting Dom Smith at first base every day. He is better defensively than Pete Alonso. And that opens up, certainly opens up left field for Brandon Nemo if they were to sign Springer, which is now the rumor that's on the block now that the Lindor trade has happened. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you have Pete Alonso. And if you don't have a designated hitter, I I'm not really sure. I, I think Dom Smith has proven that he really shouldn't be platooning or anything like that. He part of what made him so good in 2020 was that he was playing pretty much every day and it was one of those situations where the guy who you keep saying, if he plays every day, he's going to be good, played every day, and he was really good. Uh, I have faith that Pete Alonso will end up somewhere between his 2019 and his 2020 in terms of kind of his career output. He still hit the ball pretty hard. He still hit a decent number of home runs. He just had some bad chases and didn't look as good at the plate in 2020. But I do think he needs to earn that back a little bit. And Dom Smith had a great year. So I'm not really sure. And you mentioned J.D. Davis and, uh, you know, we were talking on MLB Network yesterday. If J.D. Davis, he certainly has improved uh, at third base 
in his time with the Mets. His 2019 was significantly better defensively at third base than he'd been at third base in the past. But I still think he's a little bit of a man without a position. And I still think if you're talking about a potential World Series winning defense, I'm not sure J.D. Davis is your third baseman. Yeah, and, and to that point, and, and I kind of want to wrap this in a bow here, the you know new owner, a lot of money, a lot of buzz, big city. <laughs> um, now we've seen two big moves um, mm-hmm. and, and with a third maybe right around the corner here. And I don't even think that's going to be it. I think there's probably a fourth and a fifth move all in this offseason. That almost never works in any sport. And I, I cover a lot of them in this, you know, in this team building way. It, it, it just almost never works to, to overhaul yourself. And look, at we're talking about all these players in the Mets who have been <clears throat> successful. You know, so if we're, yeah. if, we're, if we're sitting here talking about replacing J.D. Davis and talking about replacing Brandon Nimmo in center field, you know, you're, you're overhauling something that has been successful and not, you know, World Series successful, but on the right trajectory. So to just rip it up and throw a lot of money at it is exciting and a lot to talk about, but it just almost never works over a 162 season. Uh, where does that sit with you right now? You know, it's, it's almost like they're playing a little bit of fantasy baseball <laughs> behind the scenes here because they've got, you know, a, a, a brand new asset to work with. Is there a concern that the Mets are doing too much too quickly right now? I, I certainly see what you mean. And, and I know that, you know, kind of the phrase we throw around is like the team that wins the offseason doesn't usually yeah. win the World Series or the Super Bowl or the Stanley Cup or anything else, right, or the NBA title. But I do think that there is a little bit more. This feels more measured. I mean, I think that trading for Francisco Lindor and kind of making it clear maybe between the lines that you want to sign him long term, that's not really a 2021 move. That's a 2021 to 30 move mm-hmm. or whatever year. And I think that signing George Springer is probably at least a four year deal. So this isn't quite, it just doesn't feel quite as rash to me. I think it looks rash in certain ways because there are so many teams that aren't doing as much this off season. But as much as I say that I think JD Davis, that they could use an improvement there at third base. I'm not sure that that's really on their radar. There really haven't been any rumors to that point. That's kind of just me analyzing it and what I think they could help them. Well, Sarah, think, Sarah there was a yeah. big rumor that they were targeting Chris Bryant and maybe yeah. still are. So I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's out there, right? That's true. Um, I don't, He's not a defensive improvement. No, so no, I, wasn't I agree with that. Counting that in my mind, uh, but that's true. I, I would guess that this is probably it for big trades. Um, really, in the know. whole league or just the Mets? No, 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 just the Mets. Okay, just the Mets. Okay. I'm saying like they did. That. I, I don't see a Chris Bryant trade or a Nolan Arenado trade or anything like that. You know, they got their big name trade piece. Um, as far as I see it, for this year, for this year. Uh, but I, I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to say that I don't think that they're going to overhaul it quite as much as. The rumors this offseason have been plentiful, especially for them, because they've been one of the main teams that has made it clear they're willing to spend. They're not going to sign all of those players. I really think at this point they are not going to sign Trevor Bauer and George Springer, which at one point was a conversation that people were having Mm -hmm. that they could benefit from both of them. And getting back to this trade a little bit, I mean, getting Carlos Carrasco helps your rotation, especially depth-wise, to the point where maybe you don't need a Trevor Bauer. Maybe you can get another player kind of at Carrasco's level or a little bit below and just shore up the depth there, and your rotation could be better. I mean, part of why the rotation was so bad in 2020 
was that they did not have that depth. I mean, they wanted Seth Lugo to be a reliever and they had to turn to him for starts because they were missing so many guys. And now that they have Carrasco, I just think there's a little more breathing room there and they can sign Springer if they want to or go a different direction, maybe another center fielder or stick with Numo. I mean, to your point, they were tied for the best offense in 2020, depending what you're looking at. So it's not really the offense needs tinkering. I think for them, it's really the run prevention. I think it's the defensive side and how they can, you know, not lose offense when they make a move for that. I think that's right. And I do, I do think, you know, they can piece together that rotation now with, with a Jake go to or somebody like that on a, on a, you know, a half of what Bauer would cost deal, um, mm-hmm. which makes sense. The problem here is if the Springer rumors are true and Springer's projections are true, uh, he's going to take him right up to that tax line at 25 yeah. million a year. So that's where I get caught in the wind here is that if they're going to go all in right now, even if it's for, you know, a four year window, they're, they're trying to build now for four years. If you get yourself into tax, this tax situation right now, and you don't contend, which, you know, I, I think it's a lot to say that this brand new team <laughs> goes in and wins the Annalise and, and contends for the world series, even though Vegas thinks otherwise right now, um, you know, now you're now you're really kind of bleeding money for the future, and, and it's not a bad process, but it's just not you know it's not great business. So, in my opinion, I disagree with your, you saying that they're done trading because I think they have to relieve some of these assets. I think I don't think they can go into this season with George Springer and Brandon Nimmo because he's going to cost upwards of seven eight million on his arbitration now. Um, and oh, by the way, Conforto's going to need you know yeah low twenties, maybe mid twenties right now in the next 18 months. So it's going to get expensive super, super fast here. Assuming Lindor gets himself 25 million plus as well. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm spitballing for the next 18 to 24 months. And if they start paying tax in 2021 preceding that process, it's going to get ugly really fast. And I'm worried that the owner looks at it in 18 months and says, Whoa, what just happened? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how did this how did this escalate so quickly and we've got to back off, which is such a typical Mets situation, right? <laughs> I, I do think your assessment is right. I, I should I should backtrack slightly if I'm allowed and say that I, I guess I didn't mean that they won't make any sort of trade. Yeah. Uh, obviously we see minor trades or different trades all the time. I guess I just meant more that I don't think no that they're also trading for a marquee yeah. name, another yeah. marquee name. That that was more what I meant, that I don't think they're going to choose to improve this team by adding Lindor and Bryant and whoever else of, of that tier um, or that, you know, perceived tier. Uh, that's all I meant. I agree. They absolutely need to get uh, some of these guys off their roster simply from the money standpoint, as you mentioned, and also again, just what I was talking about before, <laughs> there aren't enough positions, even with the DH, there aren't quite enough positions for all these players, and they are talented. Uh, you know, as much as I was, you know, going over the idea of Nimmo playing left and and Springer playing center, if they were to sign him, yeah, I do think at this point, Nimmo or Dom Smith or Pete Alonso probably has to, you know, not be getting that next arbitration raise or whatever right. it may be from either of them. And, you know, Alonzo only debuted in 2019, but just kind of thinking ahead as you were. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Before I get to the Indians real quick with you, you keep mentioning the DDH and it's such a good point. I mean, where you sit, do you think at least that 
general managers and front offices have have an inkling of where this is going because I feel like this is such a an important note for this offseason. This offseason is now over a month old. <laughs> I mean, free agency has been available for five weeks now, and teams don't know if they're going to be able to use Pete Alonso as a DH in 2021. I feel like it's such a difficult process if they really don't know the answer. So do you think that the league has said, hey, we're leaning in this direction at least? I think that there have been reports to that, um, that teams have basically told to expect the season to be like 2019 and prior seasons. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure I remember seeing that report from Ken Rosenthal. Including the playoffs, Sarah? Uh, I don't remember that. This is not, I'm just trying to remember that I saw, Um, but I'm pretty sure that they are. I mean, it seems like they're acting as if they've been told to expect it to be the same moving forward, not the same as 2020, but the same as it had been previously. Uh, And, you know, we'll see. I think there's still some questions with a a handful of those rule changes. You know, will we see the seven inning double headers Mm -hmm. and um, anything else like that? And I'm really not sure you know, the exact answers there, but I would say that, you know, this off season in terms of moves and free agents has been pretty slow developing regardless. So as much as it may be affecting someone like Marcelo Zuna's market or Nelson Cruz's market for that Mm -hmm. matter, uh, in different ways, I'm not sure that teams not knowing definitively right now today is directly impacting when they would have signed. You know, this is just feeling like one of those winters that is going to develop pretty slowly, even for guys where their position is very well known. Yeah. I, I just think we're going to get to a point soon where they're they're just going to move free agency to like January 15th, right? I mean, this is what owners and, and front offices want anyway. They kind of want to give themselves time off in the winter. They have the winter meetings. They kind of discuss these things and then go from there. But you're right. It's it's this is not, you know, abnormal what's happening right now. So it's going to pick up soon, starting with yesterday, I think. All right. Yeah. I'll get you out of here on this because I know you've uh, you've spoken to some people in Cleveland. I know the MLB Cleveland beat reporters have been in touch with you. What's the sense and, you know, from them about the move? But also, what does this mean for that team going forward? Certainly. So uh, on uh, MLB Network yesterday, I was we had uh, Mandy Bell, who covers the Indians for MLB.com on. And she was talking about how Cleveland doesn't really want to ever go into full rebuild mode. So I think that they are approaching this and maybe potential in their moves this offseason, whether they were to be signings, um, smaller level or whatever else, um, as if they are still, you know, attempting to contend. They have a top rotation in baseball. They have mm-hmm. arguably at least the second or third best pitcher in baseball. Some people would say he's the absolute best right now uh, in Shane Bieber. And even with Mike Clevenger now in the Padres and wherever else, uh, they still have, you know, Zach Plezak and a lot of good arms, even without Carrasco mm-hmm. um, in that rotation. So, you know, we'll see. I think that the, the AL Central is going to be interesting and the White Sox are going to be a lot better. Um, that's for certain. I think that was true even before they traded for Lance Lynn and now even more so just in terms of shoring up their own rotation with a really quality starter. So, so this, we'll see. So, I mean, so you don't think the yeah. sense is that they're that, that they're rebuilding at all? I think that the way that Mandy worded it was that they never want to fully, you know, necessarily say or indicate that they're going into a rebuild. I would say that my view is that, I mean, I don't think it's a complete rebuild unless you do trade away Shane Bieber and Jose Ramirez, um, and maybe even to a lesser extent someone like Roberto Perez. But 
they certainly took a step back in terms of offensive production, which was already uh, at a premium there. And, you know, a large part of why their, you know, two game wildcard series didn't go well um, against the Yankees. So, you know, we'll see. But I do think that the Twins could take a step back um, depending where, you know, we don't know Jake Odorizzi, um, whether they might resign him. We don't know about Nelson Cruz, although that just feels like he'll be on the twins as long as he wants to until he retires, even though it's one year deals. It's just, I can't get in my head that he's not on the twins, uh, which is so funny. Uh, But, you know, so I think there is maybe some room there for second in the division. Uh, And we know with wild card and all of that, but the Royals are going to be better and the Tigers are going to be at least interesting and a little bit better as well. So their division is maybe not as top heavy as it was the last two years, but I think it's kind of like middle, better, middle heavy, however you want to word that. But I do think that they still seem to be approaching it as if they expect to contend there. And I think that that pitching is really good and it may be able to propel them there at least to a point, which is kind of what we saw this year. I think it's going to be such a fun science experiment because the, <laughs> the, that pitching staff is already underrated, even though you and I are talking about it. I've talked about it with some Indians fans in my family. Um, it's going to be weird not seeing Indians soon, by the way, my goodness. Um, yeah. It's crazy underrated. There's, you know, After you get the, past Shane Bieber, I think a lot of people who don't follow baseball closely will have no idea who those other four, pe- <laughs> four pitchers are, but yeah. they're, they're super good, including the fourth and fifth options. There's actually more in the prospect pool to come up still. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can actually acquire some hitting if they need to. And that's a possibility here in the next couple of months if they're in it. And I think that's all they want to be. You know, look at from a Vegas perspective, they're like the 10th best team. No, like the eighth best team in the American league from in terms of what, you know, projected wins. That's fringe. Mm-hmm. That's already fringe postseason. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's second place in their division, essentially, if the, if the twins do slide back a little bit. So yeah, they just have to hold the fort down. And then I think they can make a midseason trade or two and acquire some more hitting to sort of make back what they just gave away. And I don't think they're losing much in Carrasco because of what they have in the pipeline. So yeah, they, I think you know they're not exactly the Tampa Bay format, but they can be. You know, they can they can sort of be the second team in that division for a few years, and then when they feel it's ready, to, it's go time. They can make that big one big move and, and kind of push themselves back to the top of the of the division and, and really compete in the American League. That just kind of feels how they should continue to operate. I don't. I, I agree with the fact that they don't need to rip it all down, especially with Jose Ramirez's contract because it's it's an all timer. <laughs> I mean, it, it is just all-time best value contract ever. He is a perennial MVP candidate and he's getting paid absolute peanuts. So whatever they're doing there, they just, they just have to keep doing it because the, the, the moves they've made have kept them relevant. And I think they're going to remain that way. Definitely. And, and I think that they are run really well. I mean, we can say whatever about um, perception about finances or anything else yeah. and how any of these teams choose to portray themselves. But, you know, there's a reason that I feel like every team with a GM opening or a president of baseball opening was asking to talk to Chris Antonetti, right? I mean, he has done an outstanding job there and I think that that deserves recognition. And we've seen trades of franchise players in each of the last two years and ones that really, you know, upset the fan bases or really just maybe even made them sad. You know, I I think there was I think there was an anger maybe with the Mookie Betts trade. But the sense that I've gotten just from replies I've seen on Twitter 
with the Indians isn't necessarily anger because I think that the fans were resigned to this, which is, you know, unfortunate in its own thing. But I think it's more just sadness because they like watching him play so much. And I think they're also very sad about Carrasco just because of everything that he went through while he was in an Indians yeah. uniform, which is, you know, off the field with leukemia and everything else. But I do think that they, if they stay as they are exactly right now and then add here, the types of moves they made last offseason, Domingo Santana, Cesar Hernandez, Santana wasn't great for them, but I'm not sure that that's like a huge problem. You know, that was an attempt to get someone to play in the outfield to bring some modicum of offense. And Cesar Hernandez was pretty good for them. He's a pretty consistent player. Uh, Those types of moves and those guys are certainly out there, both both of them, because those were one-year deals, but also other guys. Uh, I do think that with those kinds of little improvements, they can certainly be competing in that division, even still in 2021. No question. I mean, look, until the, until Major League Baseball implements a spending floor, you know, everybody's going to look at these kind of, of organizations and say, you know, if they're only spending 60, why are we spending 170? Right. It's just the, it's the old story, but we just saw, we just had a world series that had number two and number 28 in terms of payroll. So, you know, until that stops, then I'm all for the small markets doing it. However they feel is best because I think they've been successful over the past decade, quite frankly. Definitely. And, you know, I mean, the, the move that I'm curious if they would make is if they would try to sign Shane Bieber to some sort of extension by the end <laughs> the of this Kluber year. Deal, I mean, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, something team friendly. We've certainly seen it. We've seen them do it. And he just is absolutely the real deal and really seems worth, you know, taking that concern and stress off your plate. You know, if you're sitting in that front office for at least, you know, those few years in the future and, I mean, he's just been really, really good and they should hold on to him, you know, and this is kind of the cycle as you made reference to with the Kluber deal uh, for them. But I, I think that that, I mean, that's my next thing that I'm watching. For it's a them great point. To do. You, you break one down to build one up. That's how they have to operate. You're right. They can never have too much money on, on the payroll at one time. But now that they've shed themselves 25 million plus a year, you're right. It's probably time to pay Bieber. It's a great point. Yeah, I, I just think like, you know, he is their next sort of franchise player. You know, obviously Lindor is a very different, you know, just playing a position, playing every day is very different. But Shane Bieber has already among baseball fans, the name recognition. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he broke every record this year. He did everything right. And I think in a full season, he's going to be absolutely outstanding. And if you can have that certainty and build around him with whatever, you know, minor moves or what minor moves compared to these big free agent signings, at least. Uh, I think that that really sets you up well. But, you know, I, I, I'm i sure that the fans don't want to hear that at that moment. But I think that, you know, by spring training, hopefully there's some interesting new names on the Indians for them to get excited about and, you know, just to get excited to watch Shane Bieber. Not to mention, it's just a ton smarter to pay pitchers over position players. I mean, there's just so much data to, to say that. So I, I have to imagine that's exactly how they're thinking is, you know, if we're going to have to pick one of the two over the next four years, it's going to be the starting pitcher. So it's good. It's good business. I expect it to happen yeah. now that you said it out loud. It makes so much sense <laughs> in my head. It's at Sarah, at Slangs on sports on Twitter. Sarah Langs, thanks so much for being back here. We'll do it again soon. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Today's episode is also presented by the online betting guide, olbg.com. 
Do you consider yourself an NBA expert, knowledgeable in stats, trends, plays, and injuries? Prove your skills against other knowledgeable basketball fans in OLBG.com's NBA Pick'em Contest. Enter for free and share your NBA picks to win cash prizes. There's 15 cash prizes given away each month, totaling $130 in prize money. OLBG.com is a sports betting community where expert handicappers share their predictions to compete for top place in the leaderboard, while at the same time, helping others make informed betting decisions. Show them what you've got today at OLBG.com, the online betting guide. Let's talk some football, nerdy stuff, and maybe a little of all pro stuff too with Scott Allen. Scott, welcome back. An emergency podcast for none other reason than the fact that the Mets are spending money. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I know you and I have talked about it. You were kind of with me when this trade happened. I was trying to wake the dead to make sure everybody knew about it. It's a good move. Let's just quickly get your take on this move from a baseball perspective. Yeah. Cohen is showing that he's ready to spend. He's going to do what he wants to, to beef up that team. Um, I think you said what first, the ninth and the 10th prospects or something like that are going back from the Mets. And so it's a move that the Mets had to do, I think, at least to jumpstart what is going to come in the next few weeks uh, as far as signings, I would assume. No, it's funny because, uh, uh, you know, we're we're from Buffalo, both of us, and it kind of feels like a Stefan Diggs move. Like if that guy's does. really available, we just got to go get him. And even, you know, if Stefan Diggs is going to cost the Bills $22 million a year soon, so be it, because the impact he can make right now is immediate. Uh, and I feel the same way about Lindor, honestly. Uh, I, I'm not even worried about having to pay him $25 million next year at all. It just feels like this is going to be an impactful move one way or another. Yeah, you're right. In that impact on the field, off the field, you know, we talk about the finances of sports, the fact that, you know, the revenue that is going to come in for jersey sales yeah. and, you know, whatever Count else me in. because Lindor's coming. <laughs> so, and on top of it, they got a starting pitcher. So, so that's good for them. Um, I just think it's a, it's a win for them. The Indians payroll is going to be massively interesting when all is said and done because mm-hmm. they're going to be probably bottom three or close to that um, when all is said and done. So they're, they're going in the money ball direction, I would assume. Hey, uh, the Marlins almost got there. Tampa did get yep. there. It's totally doable. If you, it can, is doable. if you can pitch, it's doable. All right, good stuff. Scott, let's talk. Boy, we're going we're gonna to be super nerdy today. This is what happens when we're, when we're doing last minute podcasts, but it's relevant. It, it's super relevant. And, and I think when we started to dig into these numbers, uh, you know, even with the weekend coming up here, the Saturday, Sunday games, there's a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about offensive lines <laughs> and, and what got us going, Scott, you brought up the point was, you know, where should Trevor Lawrence land in terms yeah, of, in terms of safety, right? Cause we've got right. Joe Burrow now dealing with a massive injury. We've seen this before, you know, Sam Darnold can't stay up and he is shooken because of how, be- how poorly the jets have put together a roster around him. It's not the first and the last time this is going to happen. You know, it's a, so, so it got me looking and I went to pro football focus because it's the easiest place to find some sort of rating in terms of offensive line uh, to answer your questions. And this kind of worked out exactly like I thought it was going to work out, except for the fact that when we started to dig deeper and you looked at the playoff teams this weekend, there's some glaring 
ranks here, glaring, and, and we'll get to that mm-hmm. second. Let's talk about the, the bad teams first, uh, and we'll answer your question. Where should Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and uh, Zach Wilson want to be going right now in terms of being able to stay in a pocket for three seconds? So pass blocking in 2020, the Jaguars were 20th in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. That's, that's pretty good for a bad team. For the number one overall pick, that's a pretty good metric. All right. They're, they're, yeah, about, they're yeah. about a consistent 62 across the board for the five players in terms of PFF grades. Average. I, I think I'm okay with that, <laughs> you know, because when I look at the Jets, they're 31st. All right. They're, they're, they're second to last. How about the team that's last? It's the Giants, Scott. It is. I, Speaking I of quarterbacks getting that. a raw deal, it's a good thing that defense could play ball this year because that Giants team might have been really bad. If yes. not for some of those defensive turnarounds, uh, I fear for Daniel Jones right now. And I know they're going to get Nate Solder back maybe uh, from an opt out. And they, you know, they might release him, though. It might be too cost worthy for them. But they, that's obviously where the Giants have to focus on right now. But, you know, and I know they're going to pay Saquon Barkley at some point. But, you know, blocking for the run should be secondary right now because they got to keep Daniel Jones up in this rookie contract or they're going to go nowhere yeah. fast. It's just a fact of life. Uh, so Jets 31st, that's not a great look if you're Justin Fields, but, or Sam Darnold for that matter, depending on how that shakes out. What other, what other teams at the bottom of this pass blocking list kind of stand out for you? Cause I think it's a phenomenal list when you look at who's here and who's not here. Well, the, the, the number one team that sticks out at me is Tennessee Titans at 28 crazy pass blocking because, you know, we've seen good thing. They paid Derek Henry, Henry Scott. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we've seen Tannehill throw the ball around. It's not like he hasn't passed and gone deep to, you know, Brown, like we talked about the other day. Yeah. You know, but the fact that he's been able to sling it around and that pass blocking has been that bad, that that sticks out big time for me. And then I think the second team is probably Minnesota because you've put so much money into how about, how about and, that though Scott two Kirk teams Cousins. that paid a running back this offseason how about that yeah yeah how about point. that did that did that hurt their ability to, to sign offensive linemen right yeah that, because, that the is tennis, a because the Titans point. lost Jack Conklin to the Browns who we are certainly going to get to here which Jack Conklin was a uh, all all uh, NFL team, all pro. Team they just one, announced it, right? All yeah. pro, yeah. Today, so you know <laughs> that's a that's a huge loss for them and a huge gain for the Browns, which is probably why they're number one in pass block and number one in run block right now. There's no question about it. And oh, by the way, what who did the uh, or what did the Vikings lose to the Browns this offseason? Kevin Stefanski. <laughs> uh, yep. So right. there's two teams that the Browns clearly capitalized off of. But yeah, those are definitely the teams that stand out. And then the other is the 30th ranked pass blocking team, according to PFF, the Chargers. So the year that Justin Herbert just had, it ain't because he was standing upright. You know, it, they, he was creating his own pocket. He was maneuvering. He's good off the run. Uh, he's a heck of a player. And when you've got good coaches saying that week two, which we did this year, uh, and it's all I heard after games was, hey, man, you got the Chargers have a guy here. I'm all in on this guy for fantasy next year. All in. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most in- important coaching hires of the offseason. It's, it's one of those things we have to watch because who's going to get paired with, boy, you put the enemy on that team? You know, knowing what he can take away from Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and give it to Justin Herbert, 
mm-hmm. and Keenan Allen. Right. That's a that's a nice little setup there. So that, that's a team to watch for me. But they they that team cannot get the offensive line right. I bet if we looked, and I'm not going to take the time right now. They've been bottom five for the last five years. If I had had to guess, they just have a quarterback now. <laughs> And if that's bottom five, to go off on a real quick tangent, their special teams has been so atrocious. So bad. You know, it's yeah, it, they have they have holes and gaps to fill, and so many to deal yeah. with. You know, whoever comes into there, you know, God bless them because ha- have fun. <laughs> yeah, the bad teams are in the bottom. There's no question. I mean, the Bears are down there, but the, you know, the Bears offensively have been stalemate this year. Dallas is down there because of injuries. San Francisco is down there because of injuries. Uh, we mentioned the Bengals are down there. That's got to improve. There's no question about it. If they want Burrow to be successful over the next three years, they got to they got to pump more money into that offensive line. I expect a couple of roster bubble moves there, and uh, boy, that could be a trade as well. Like we could, we could see somebody move into that spot because they need to immediately fix that. So do the Jets, whoever plays quarterback for that team. Let's talk about the top of this list. Uh, I knew Washington was going to be there because I've been active in, in see, they've got a couple of guys who need to get paid. And whenever that happens, I get myself involved. Of course, uh, Baltimore is fourth without Ronnie Stanley. He's missed over half the year with that injury. That's impressive. The, if you love Baltimore and you're hearing this bet Baltimore in the playoffs, they've got a, they've got a simpler pass path to get to the third round. Like you and I talked about on Monday, Scott, uh, I just keep seeing the right kind of metrics with that team. And if Lamar just gets over the hump in the playoffs, look out, (laughs) look out, you know, there's no reason that team shouldn't be as successful as Buffalo. There's no reason. Uh, And they can run the ball. I think more than Buffalo can. So just a team to watch for sure. But the Browns are number one and the Browns are number one in pass blocking by almost seven rating points. So whatever they've done over the past three seasons, you know, the last piece of the puzzle being Jack Conklin from Tennessee this offseason is remarkably successful. And it is easily the reason, you know, the majority reason why Baker Mayfield is having the year he's having. He is not having to be the gunslinger. He can be a measured, steady, you know, thinking quarterback in that pocket. And that's what we've seen. We've seen him kind of calm down, slow his feet down a little bit, and it's because he's got nobody coming in his face in front of it. Clearly. I mean, these are, these are eyeball numbers, right? And I, it makes me worry less. Now they're going to lose Joe, Joe Batonio now because of this COVID situation this weekend. So there's, there's a little bit of cause for pause there, but they're so much far ahead of everybody else in the league. It's impressive. No, it is. And I just, I toggled back to last year, last year, they were down to 17th. And then the year before that, was they were at third so you can see where baker had an issue last year no question and the offense had an issue and then this year they're back where they were in his rookie season and you know it that offensive line makes a difference for especially for those young quarterbacks because they're not being under fire and um they're able to see the field long enough to get the ball out of their hands no question uh, just overall offensive line. So pass block and run blocks. Of course, it's Cleveland. Green Bay second. The Rams are third. That surprises me. That surprises me a little bit. And, you know, maybe we're underselling that team as a whole a little bit, uh, you know, especially with the path they have in this postseason. We'll see. Tampa Bay is up there, top 10. Washington, we mentioned top six. And it's been evident. 
clearly it's been evident. I mean, the, the running attack that that team put together right out of the gate with Antonio Gibson was impressive. So you knew they were going to start to make some noise in that division. Colts are seventh. They got some studs, especially interior. The center and the two guards are studs. Uh, you know, they lost their left tackle similar to Baltimore. So it's, it's very close to how that may be handled. I'm sure the bills are going to capitalize on that to some degree. Saints are eighth. You know, this isn't an accident. Bills are 10th. <laughs> Chiefs are 11th. Okay. You've got basically every playoff team in the top 15. It's not an accident with the exception of Tennessee, who's way down this list, way down the list. And it's glaring. That's something that stands out to me that Tennessee is so far down. Now they can run the ball. You know, if they're, if they're 28th in pass block, they're 15th overall, which means that's how good they are at run blocking for Derrick Henry. And of course, Derrick Henry makes anybody look good, but you know, maybe T- Ryan Tannehill is a heck of a lot better than we give him credit for. Don't, don't you take yeah. the, the, that? I take that away here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, if he doesn't have the kind of protection that many of these good teams do, uh, that's one of those things I take away from a quarterback standpoint and say, Hey, this guy maybe really gets it. And that system is working down there. So, um, this is really interesting to me. The, the, the fact that the Browns were able to turn this around and be consistent now with it. I, it's even more interesting knowing that they were third a couple of years ago and injuries or, or coaching probably, right? I kind of <laughs> turned this thing around and has now s- it's stabilized it. So I, is Baker getting paid? Uh, I, I would probably think he's going to. I, who knows how much he's going to, but... You pay him now um, though, I, right? I, you, pay him, you, you pay him right after Josh Allen signs. Because he's not Josh Allen right now, but he might be in 2022. <laughs> so right. where, where I generally don't condone paying the quarterback early, I, I think you give this guy a four-year extension because it's going to be crazy value if he works out to the, the ceiling that people have him at. Because Josh Allen's getting 40. I don't, I don't see any other way around that right now. You know, you know, you've got Josh Allen and Deshaun Watson in the exact same conversation. So they're going to have almost identical contracts, in my opinion. But Baker's not there. Baker's not there. Baker's like in the, you know, Aaron Rodgers, 33 million range, in my opinion, right now. And that's also where I have him valued. He probably sneaks up to 35 plus now if, if Allen goes to 40. But you do that. I think you do that right now if he, especially if he wins a playoff game here. So good for the, that team really figuring it out. It's not just a fluke. You know, they are built in the trenches. The defensive side is just as impressive, by the way, that defensive line. And they're, they're locked up now with Miles Garrett. Uh, they're going to have to swap out Olivier Vernon sometime in the next couple of months, but that shouldn't be hard to do. There's going to be options um, in terms of roster bubbles and, and players like that. But uh, cheers to Cleveland, honestly. And I'm saying that from a seat in Buffalo right now. So they've, uh, they've built this team correctly. And maybe, maybe they should have done this. And we'll bring this full circle, Scott. Maybe they should have had this figured out before they got Baker. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And that's kind of the point we're making here. I, I I feel better about Trevor Lawrence now having done this exercise because Jacksonville has a serviceable offensive line, which they have cap space to make better, you know? Right. And I hope they do because I like their offensive weapons too. They've got a running back, two legitimate wide receivers, maybe a decent tight end, you know, but they could upgrade that as well. But they, they can use a lot of that capital. Certainly the defense has to get fixed. So I'm not saying shy away from that, but you know, throw a couple, throw some dollars at guards and interior linemen this year. Make sure the inside of Trevor Lawrence's pocket stays clear. And I think they will. Yeah, I think, and that's the advantageous aspect of the NFL is the free agency is much further before the draft. So they can really hone in on those 
offensive line, tackles, guards, center, whatever they need, tight ends that are blocking tight ends to really make sure that line is good to go, knowing that they're going to draft Lawrence at number one. So they they have a leg up on most of these other teams. You know, the Jets at number two, they don't know if they're going to trade that pick or they're going to take that pick. And if they are, uh, maybe they already know that they're going to go with a quarterback or something else of that nature. But knowing that they already have the free agent in, in free agency in March, yeah, they can really pick and choose. And, and if they have to throw some a little bit of extra money at a guy to get them in to make sure that <laughs> they're going to have to spoiler. That's what the bills did. Mitch Morse. Yeah. You know, they threw the money at him. They brought him in. They got a stud center for Allen. And hopefully Jacksonville is doing their analytics and, and picking those guys that are going to make sure that Lawrence doesn't uh, have to scramble and uh, get multiple injuries over his first year. I feel better about it now. I do too. I feel I better too. about I, it. I, I posed it because, you know, the, uh, the, the everything you hear right now is Trevor Lawrence, number one, Trevor Lawrence, number one. And it hit me. Is Jacksonville even ready to have Trevor Lawrence? Because we've talked about the Jets at, at nauseum because they were the number one pick for so long until the end here. And we, we've said that they weren't ready. They weren't ready. And then I was like, oh, Jacksonville, are they even ready? And I, I feel better that with them at 20. That means they have something to work with to project themselves higher, just like Cleveland. If Cleveland was at 17 last year and they did whatever they had to do, whether it was draft some guys or got some guys in free agency and were able to escalate themselves to number one in pass blocking this year, that is definitely a something that the, the Jaguars could do yeah. to uh, move that team forward. I still think the Jaguars could use a left tackle. I, I oh, still, absolutely. I still think you spend either that free agent ca- capital or future draft capital to bring in the best possible left tackle and not screw around. Because to me, that's the weakness on that line. After looking a little deeper, it's Cam Robinson. So, if that's what you have to do, you know, secondary to drafting Trevor Lawrence, if you give up the rest of your draft, for instance, to, to bring in a left tackle and your defense is still kind of piss poor, so be it. Honestly, so be it. Forfeit the rest of your draft for a left tackle. Do it because, uh, you know, move up back into that first round and get the, get somebody who's available that you love and take your chances with it and then spend your free agent capital on the defensive side of the ball. I, I, I fully believe in this. You know, I, I look at the Chargers, Scott, and I'm reading a little bit more about it. I'm, I'm right. They've had the worst offensive line for several years, Pro Football Focus says. Several, not, not, not a few, several years, uh, injuries, whatever it's going to be. But Justin Herbert just did that with a perennial worst offensive line. I feel great about the kid. And, you know, whoever sits in there with, to, to, to take over that Chargers job, that's got to be priority number one, two, and three is, is figuring this out because they've got Austin Eckler, two, two rookie running backs to go with them. They've got offensive weapons. They've got mm-hmm. a defense that's when healthy, is ready. They just got to figure this damn line out, and, and I'm 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 excited for that team. But I, again, Jacksonville, put everything into your left tackle. Do it. Jacksonville has a second first round pick too from the Rams that nice. right now is projected at twenty one. The Jalen Ramsey pick, nice. Yes. 
So you have the Jacksonville Jaguars that have two first round picks and the Jets that have two first round picks. Jets is going to be Scott. We just fixed the Jaguars later, in but. 10 minutes. You, f- you bring that pick and whatever else we have in the second or the third round and you move yep. yourself right up to get the best available left tackle. You do it. Yeah, you're moving yourself yep. right up. And guess what? I bet you Miami would, would listen. I bet you Miami would listen if they because they're because oh, they're going to move back out. I bet I bet you they move out of three and wherever they land, if it's eight or nine or ten. That's the sweet spot I want Jacksonville back up in. Go up there and get the best left tackle available. Probably the kid from Alabama, if I had to guess. All right. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. This was random. You know, this was supposed <laughs> to be about the Mets. I did do plenty of Mets. But, uh, you know, it's a big weekend. And I wanted to give the Browns some love here because they're heading into a weird weekend from a COVID standpoint. They're playing, you know, Pittsburgh, a division rival, which is also weird for round one of the playoffs. But they're here and they belong here is the point of this conversation. They belong. They have built this the right way. Maybe a couple of years late, like I said, but they're built correctly. They're going to be a problem for Ben Roethlisberger. There's no question about that. Whoever, you know, even with the players that are missing and, you know, they can run the ball. That's what you do this time of year. So the you fact do. that Baker is steadied and stabilized is just icing on the cake for me. So I'm looking forward to that game a little bit more now. Good stuff, Scott. My thanks to The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash track to get 40% off your first year subscription. OLBG.com is the online betting guide. They're running NBA contests for free, giving away cash prizes. And oh, by the way, becoming more knowledgeable, better at the same time. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.